I knew my wife did a whole lot. I didn't realize how stinking amazing she was. Like, I, this is, I feel really inadequate as a dad right now watching my children make it through the weekend without my wife as all of the, we got 50 plus women that are up, up north at a women's retreat and it has been awesome to have them gone, but I, uh, I really do uh, have a, a even more respect for her. So yeah, let me pray for them real quickly because it's really, it's been fun to, to do church <laughs> missing 50 plus people. It's been really, really hard, but thank you for those of you that stepped up. And um, I've heard some really great things from my wife about what's going on up there. So let me pray for them, and then we'll jump in to the scripture. God, thank you for the time and the space to be able to do a women's retreat. Thank you for the, the women that stepped up and led this in such a, a profound and beautiful way and organizing and, and getting the, the people there. Thank you for, for Jay and her teaching and what she's doing up there is just incredible. And I'm just, uh, I'm just honored and amazed to be able to, to do life with so many incredible women. I pray that the connections and the relationships and the walls that are broken down um, that happened this weekend, God, I pray that that would bring um, nothing that just happens over weekend, but would be uh, something that, that truly changes the heart and, the, and the, the, the way that we are as a church because of the pressing in of those women into your word and that time together. Um, for, for those that, that maybe didn't get to go or weren't, weren't able to do it this time, God, I pray that you would help them just kind of fold into that as well and just let it just be an incredible, um, I just picture fire and like the brush catching fire and letting these, uh, this church just be on fire because of uh, these women pressing into you and growing in this way. God, I pray for protection, bringing them home safely. I thank you for uh, the, the dads and the families that have stepped up to, to care for uh, the kids and those that are gone. For, for the women that are coming back that have school tomorrow, work tomorrow, or um, whatever is coming back into their life, I pray that it wouldn't be something that they jump into and forget where you've taken them over the weekend, but instead they would use and, and see what you've done through them in the weekend and allow that to be the lens at which they take on the many, many uh, amazing tasks and things you have for them. We praise you for what you're doing in them. We praise you for this time, and we thank you for the many people that stepped up, even thinking of the kids' classes right now with uh, uh, an overwhelming amount of guys in there, which is awesome, and I pray that you would uh, maybe even give them a heart to see this not just occasionally, but something they could do on a regular basis as well. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been in... Psalm 119, we have three weeks left after this, so we're, we're winding down. If you need a Bible, um, raise your hands. The ushers will grab one. I'd love for you to read along with us. Again, we've, we started this with the beginning, kind of a structure where we're, we're doing um, a couple chunks of verses. The, the Psalm 119 is a letter that was written by the, the Hebrew alphabet. And so each strophe or stanza, eight verses that you see begin with that Hebrew letter. And so this is the kind of this, this structure that goes. And I don't have time to necessarily go into it, but if you've been coming and you haven't actually understood the structure why we're doing it the way we would, I would encourage you to go back to the first week and listen to that as well. But last week, I challenged you and encouraged you guys through the, what the psalmist had written about um, obedience and shared specifically that our, our motivation changes how we obey. And, and when we have the right motivation, our obedience is actually can, is, is capable of doing so much more than what maybe we're used to or have experienced in the past. And so I kind of encouraged us through, through the Word of God just to be obedient, but not just be obedient through muscle memory. And I would encourage you, if you haven't heard that, to go back and listen to that as well. And before we get in the, the psalm today, you can kind of just put your finger there. Verse 65 is where we're going to start um, on Psalm 119. I, about four years ago, had the incredible honor to be trained by an incredibly brilliant pastor mentor um, in Israel and spent some time in Israel kind of looking at where the Bible spoke and what it was saying and, and standing on the physical space. And I'm telling you, it changes the way you read the scriptures when you hear Jesus say like, hey, a city on a hill can't be, 
hidden. He's not just saying that hypothetically. He's literally standing on the Sea of Galilee and pointing to the city on the hill. And when you, when you see that that's the scripture and that it just changed it. But one of the really cool experiences I got to do was um, I got to walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. Now, Hezekiah's tunnel is, you can pick up and understand more about it out of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, but it was specifically in the city of David, the lower part of the, the Temple Mount, where it was prior to where it stands today. Um, this was how they got water in it without it being taken or poisoned or anything else. And so there's a safe area where it was basically a, a tunnel that was carved out of rock that's about 20 yards below ground, all rock around it, and about 1,750 feet long. And it just kind of kind of snakes through it. And so we were there we're like, hey, let's, let's walk Hezekiah's tunnel. Let's, let's, let's do it. And so I remember asking the individual, like, well, how, how full will the water be? He's like, ah, this time of year, ankle deep. It was not ankle deep. It was like knee high to like mid-thigh deep, which is kind of cold. And, and if you can just picture this, you're in a tunnel where like, it's all rock around you. And at times I had to turn sideways because the rock was so, so tight. And there were other times we had to kind of duck a little bit. And so so it was, some, some people are using cell phones for lights, you know, and the other people have like flashlights or whatever. It's pitch black, really narrow and really tight. And we do what every normal, ridiculously foolish person does when you're in the middle of a tunnel underneath the ground. Hey guys, let's turn off our lights. And so we all decide in a moment, like the five or six of us that are down there, like, hey, let's turn off our lights. And so we did, you turn off your lights. And I put my hand up and like, I can't see my hand six inches from my face. That's how dark it is in here. Okay, and all you hear is just kind of the water moving down as you're standing in it, you know, and kind of going through it. And, and we're all super silent. We're just sitting there. And what happens in that moment, I don't know if you've ever been in pitch black like that. If you've ever been in something so, so dark, rational people start thinking irrational things. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Like, it's in that moment when it's pitch black that I start thinking, like, huh, you know, this rock could cave any moment. You know, like, I'm sitting there thinking this, having this thought process, the, the water could fill. Like, what, what's keeping the water from filling? I never asked, like, how much water is or not. Like, he said ankle deep. Has it gotten fuller? Like, you start started thinking of all these horrible things, at least I do. I'm not claustrophobic necessarily, but put yourself in a really, really dark area with a few strangers that you kind of know or getting to know, and, and you, you start seeing, the, you know, the mortality of your life. You're like, man, I don't know if I should be doing this. And it was in that moment that we said, hey, let's, 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 uh, let's walk a little bit with the lights off. Now, that wasn't the best idea because, like I said, you could hit your head. And sure enough, the guy that, whose idea it was hit his head about 10 yards down. And we're like, hey, we should turn the lights on. Let's not keep going that way. But it was really, really, really dark. And I, in that setting, if I had been in this space, now Hezekiah's tunnel is kind of, we know that there's a start and there's an end. At one point, there was another aqueduct that kind of connected to it, but they had since closed it up. But you're kind of, you're turning. It's not a straight line. I know that there's an A and a B, so I'm not really worried about getting lost. I feel like if I, sooner or later I'm either going to come back out to the Temple Mount area or I'm going to head up to the Pool Sloan and I'm going to be there. Like either, either way, I'm getting out, right? But in that moment, if there were multiple paths, if you've ever been lost before, if you've ever experienced kind of uh, like you've been, I don't know where I'm supposed to be, it really is interesting how you get out with the people that are around you. So one of the guys in our group was super, super sarcastic. He was the one that had the idea um, to go with lamps off. And, and if, if he had said, if he'd said, hey, hey, guys, I got an idea. Let's take the alternate path. I'm pretty sure I'd say, yeah, that's a terrible idea. I'm not going to do it because I'm not going to listen to you, mainly because he's proven to date. He was a good guy, but he's proven to date that he's not really trustworthy in everything he says. He's very sarcastic and could be someone that's leading us astray. But that being said, in our lives, when we, when we start walking through the day in and day out lives, the steps that you and I take, 
They, those steps are, whether it's dark or bright, those steps are either more confident or more fearful when we think about who's actually leading us. And when we're, and it's pitch black. If you've ever been in pitch black, you, knew, you know you can't see your hand in front of you. you. You realize at a moment, like, there's no matter how long you wait for your eyes to adjust, it's not going to work. You need light. We need light. And the psalmist talks specifically about this, a verse that you and I have heard over and over and over again probably. And so my encouragement would be as we, as we look into this scripture that you wouldn't let yourself just go, okay, I've heard this, this is great, I, I, I recognize this scripture and just move on, but instead would allow these words to really penetrate your heart. As I've told you since the beginning, and I can, we can only say this so much, we, we began this chapter in Psalm 119. The reason why we just did one chapter in the psalm and this one specifically was because I, I just desire so badly for you guys to be in love with God's word. That it wouldn't just be something that you look at occasionally, oh, okay, that's neat, and it kind of has some good ideas for my life, but that you would truly fall in love with the scriptures. That the scriptures wouldn't just be something that speaks to you occasionally, but it's something you live your life by. And so last week we talked about obedience and motivation, and this week we're going to talk specifically about how I believe if we recognize God's goodness, then we will trust his illuminating path for our life. If we see just how good God is, then trusting him for the direction of our life is a simple, simple task. And so let's, let's read the scripture. Verse 65 is where we're going to jump in in Psalm 119, and then we'll, we'll discuss it some more. You've dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And then over to verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hands continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. In this psalm, what we see in the first uh, set of scripture, the first chunk of um, this section, stanza nine, we see uh, that he talks about God's goodness. It's almost like the psalmist, in all of this stuff, the affliction's kind of coming, everything's been kind of attacking him in this way. It's in this moment he says, okay, I'm gonna just stop again and remind myself and everyone else just how good God is. And so he says, in a number of different ways, how he speaks of God's goodness. So how does he do this? In verse 65, and this is the most important one, he says, how he has dealt with us is good. God, have, how you have dealt with me is good. Now, this is a big one because I think a lot of us wrestle to believe this depending upon our circumstances. We struggle to believe that God is good to us or that he has dealt bountifully with us or that he has dealt well with me. 
Because we, we look at our scenario, and we're like, well, if you've dealt well with me, then why haven't I found my spouse? Or if you've dealt well with me, why hasn't my job situation changed? Or why haven't we had a child yet? Or what, why are these specific circumstances not happening? I don't feel like you're doing well with me. You've dealt well with me. If you just think about it for just a second, left on your own, and I, I get it, I, I'm assuming most of us think we're pretty darn awesome. But if, you, if you're, you're left on your own, if you think about it, the reality, like, think about your, your propensity to selfishness your propensity to, to pride, to anger, how quick we can get angry, our sinfulness, our desire to do the things that God's word doesn't want us to do. And we, I think a lot of us, when it comes to, to God dealing with us, we're looking at our, our current circumstances and we're forgetting the biggest thing he's ever done for us. Which for those of us that have submitted our life to Jesus Christ, he has, he has redeemed you. He has, he has saturated you with grace. He has drawn out Jesus' blood and, and, and broken Jesus so that that blood can cover you and you can be deemed right before God. How has God dealt with us? He has given us his, his name. He has adopted us in to his home. He has saved you and me. And see, I think too often we forget just how big of a deal that was or is. Too often we forget just how big of a deal that is or was. And we think, no, there's no way. There is no way that God is good to me. But we forget what he's done to even make you and I right before him. Has God dealt well with us? Yeah. You know why? Because every single one of us deserve what Jesus took. Every single one of us deserve that. And yet because of what Jesus has done, and those of us that submit ourselves and surrender that, we are no longer looked at for that sin. It has been paid for in completion. So the next time we're, we're complaining about our circumstances and we're wondering if, if God has actually dealt well with us, I think we need to be reminded of what he's actually done for us to even be in his presence. What he's done for you and me, the grace he's shown. Now look, I, I am not saying that your life isn't hard and that you just need to forget that. What I am saying is God has, has dealt well with you because he's given you his mercy and his grace instead of his wrath and his justice. And that should sink hard in us. That should be at the root of our heart so that when we start thinking about the circumstances and the difficulties and everything else that's going on, we should, we should come back to, I, I don't understand this, this is hard, but God, you have dealt well with me. You have been good to me. So the first thing the psalmist recognizes is that God is good to him by just the way he's dealt with him. The psalmist writes this before he's even experienced or heard of Jesus walking this earth. Right? And the psalmist already believes, like, he is good to me because of his promises. We've talked about that. Because of what we have hope in, we've talked about that. He's good to me, so he sees him as good. The second thing we see is in verse 66. He says that, he asks him, he says, teach me what is, what is good judgment and, and good teaching. What is, what is good what is good in this way? This tells me something that I never really thought about, good judgment and knowledge. This tells me something that we should think about, that, that, that there is actually judgment and knowledge that isn't good. You ever, you ever think about that? Like the fact that he's asking God to teach him good judgment and knowledge. Teach me these things. He's acknowledging two things. One is specifically that the good knowledge and understanding that we will have comes from God. It comes from him. And so if we want to experience his goodness and understand his truth, and, and know his knowledge, we got to look to him for the answer, not someone else. It also tells us that there are a lot of things in this world that may look like good judgment or may look like good knowledge, but just aren't. 
You're gonna, you, you, are, you are susceptible, and there's a, there's a risk of you following knowledge or judgment that isn't good. That's the second way he says that he's dealt well. He's been good to us. The third way is in verse 68. He says he is good, and everything he does is good. Now, this is a hard one, specifically when we think about the absolutely horrific act in Las Vegas. If God is so good, I, I, the rhetoric that people always go to this. Look, I will be the first one to say this. What happened in Las Vegas is horrific. It's atrocious. It's not, it's not what God wants. That's not God doing that. Let me be really clear. People that want to blame God for all the negative in the world don't submit their lives to him completely anyways. So, okay, if we'll give him all the negative, do you give him all the good as well? Usually the answer is no. But let me be very, very clear. The reason why we are on this earth, the reason why you and I, those of us that submitted to Jesus Christ, is not so that we can find some agenda to fight in a situation like this. It's so that we can be the light in a place that needs it so badly. So when people are losing their lives and people are fighting, and trust me, there's just, unfortunately, another scenario that's going to look like this that people are going to get excited about. Unfortunately, this is a broken world with a lot of broken people, but we do not hope as those do not have Jesus Christ. We hope in a different way. Right? We, we are the light in this broken world. We are the truth in this broken world. And so God is good. What the psalmist is saying is he's good, and everything he does is good. Now, that is in direct opposition to maybe what some of you feel right now, to the rhetoric that maybe you're hearing right now. But what you have to, you have to discern, you have to decide, you have to submit to the fact that God specifically is good and everything he does is good. And what tells me that is the scripture. Now, if you're going to want to just like do away with the scripture, then we've got a whole nother conversation. But the reality is this, guys. This, this is the truth. God is good. And everything he does, everything he does is good. We've got to settle on that. You and I have got to settle on that because here's the fact. We will not operate or live or find the right motivation to obey God if we don't believe that about God. It won't happen. So the psalmist says it. He declares it. He says, God is good and everything he does is good. So when, when the broken world, the sinfulness of men and women hurt so many other people, our job isn't to be a loud voice. Our job is to be the light of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that you don't fight or, or speak out. I'm not saying that. But if that's all we're doing, Jesus was very quick to both be present and to speak truth. And so I would encourage you guys that when you see horrific things like this, you must plant yourself, dig yourself in, tether yourself to the ground, recognizing that despite what you may see, despite what you may feel at times, God is good. I had a friend of mine say it this way, that Christians will always be slightly depressed because we are not of this world. Our home is not here. It's God's kingdom. And so when we see people that God loves, people that we love operating contrary to what God wants for them, well then, yeah, we will struggle with it. Even the, the psalmist talks about the fatness. They smear with lies. A couple weeks ago, we talked about hot indignation for those that don't follow God's word. Like we, we have a role, but God is good and everything he does is good. There has not been a single thing that God has done that isn't good. And you have got to wrestle and reconcile that to his word, to your soul in this way. The next thing the psalmist says, we've got to move on here. He says, 
He says, um, and this is a fun one, 71, he says, he allows affliction in our lives. That's how he's good to us. Now, wait, wait, wait. Hang on a second. How is God good that way? Verse 71, that makes no sense. It says, it's good for me that I was afflicted. God, it's good that I was afflicted. Well, if we just read this verse, we might think he's some kind of masochistic person, like we just want some kind of trouble. But if you could take it in light of verse 67, which is what he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. We, we see the goodness of affliction. Now, now, hear me on this, guys. God will allow really hard situations in our life. He's going to allow that, not so he can squash you, but so he can refine you. He who began a work is committed to finishing it. He's not going to leave you high and dry. Affliction is a good thing. The psalmist recognized it. He says, before I was afflicted, man, I was my, on my own. Everything was good. And I did not need God. It took affliction for me to recognize my need for God. One scholar says it this way. He says, often our trials act as a thorn hedge to keep us in the good pasture. But our prosperity is a gap through which we go astray. How often do we find ourselves when life is good and everything's great, we just don't even open God's word. But the instant we need to start making a decision, we're like, oh man, God, speak to me. What's going on? Now that's good. That's great. But a lot of times he's spoken to you already. He would be speaking to you continually through this word if you were just in it. Verse 107, 109, 110 all talk about affliction. Look, this whole fluffy bunny Jesus Christ that some people want is not true. Jesus not once did he utter saying, hey, follow me and no problems will ever come. No, he says, my yoke is light and my burden is easy. But that's because he's the one bearing that strength. I did those backwards. Sorry. I'm tired. But he says things like, you want to follow me, you must die to yourself daily. You know what that means? That means at the core of our selfishness, we must let go. That means we don't have control. We give up control. That means when we feel out of control, we surrender more to him. God is going to allow afflictions. And the psalmist recognized that it was before the afflictions he didn't see a necessary need for God. And it was through the afflictions that God showed him his need. And then he says, even in the afflictions now, I will trust you. I will follow you. We see that he's good um, because in verse 72, he says his word is better than all the riches in the world. That means that whatever you're working at for your 401k or 501k or 16101k or whatever else there is out there, all the numbers that we're looking for, all the treasures we try to hold, none of them are as good as his word. And look, I'm not saying don't save. I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm just saying if the instant those things become more important than this, you've got problems. You've got serious problems when this is our greatest treasure. Just like I said last week, our motivation has to be God being our inheritance. When those things get out of whack, guys, we, we get in trouble. And then the psalmist, I've got to keep moving here. The psalmist moves on. In verse 105, he says the most specific or most, most quotable psalm verse ever, right? In verse 105, it's, it's your lamp to my feet and your, your, a direction to my path. And everyone has every single version of that kind of written or tattooed on them. And they thought about how awesome it is. And so many of us have read this verse and we just go, okay, yeah, that's great. That's cool. He's a lamp. But we don't actually use it. You and I walk in Hezekiah's tunnel in the dark with a light in hand and go, nah, I don't need it. I mean, it's good sometimes. Maybe I'll come to it if I have a question, but realistically, I, I'll take it from here, God. You know what's interesting about this verse? I missed it so many times since I read it. He says, the word is a lamp to our feet. It literally means that he's, he's going to illuminate this, the next step. 
There's illumination happening so that you can see. And if you've ever experienced like one little flashlight in that black darkness, when I turned on my cell phone light, didn't light the whole thing up, but it, you could see it from a long ways away. And what he's saying is he's actually going to light our feet. The part of this verse that I missed so many times is the second part, and a light to my path. I never actually read that as an understanding of, of my path. And the, the fact that God actually has, I mean, it says he created us beforehand for good works. It says that he's going to see us through. He's, he's going to complete the work in us. It tells us to fix our eyes on him like we see the truth. So he actually has a path for us. Now, I'm not saying that every single step is there, but God has a way in which you and I as his children are to live. He has given us a path, and he's going to illuminate that path. And the way he does it is through his word. And you and I will not look to his word if we don't believe that he is good. We will not look to the word if we don't believe he is good. We will continue to look to other means to light our path. We will continue to find the, the latest gadget to answer the questions. When tragedy strikes in Las Vegas, instead of turning to God's word in prayer, we turn to Facebook. How healthy is that? Instead of spending time in God's word or prayer, we turn to someone else. And I, I get it, turning to people and doing stuff with this is great, but like, if this is not our first step, is it really lighting your path? I have a, a friend, Dan, you guys know him. I'm just gonna go ahead and sell him out because he told me I could after the first time I did it. But um, Dan, is, <laughs> he works with our youth, he's awesome. But he, uh, he's incredibly blind. He doesn't tell anyone this, but he really is. And I know this because when you're growing up, we'd be driving um, and... He'd be driving somewhere, and we'd be on like a road trip because we did a lot of road trips together, and it's like pitch black out or, you know, they're driving the way. I'm like, whoa, Dan, did you just see that deer almost came across the road? He's like, what deer? I'm like, how did you not see that? He's like, oh, dude, I'm so blind, I should probably put my glasses on. Like, whoa, wait a second, dude, we're like five hours into this drive, and you don't have glasses on? Like, you're just now telling me that? And so then he pulls out his glasses, puts his glasses on, and, and then like the joke was like, he could see twice as far as me. He's like, hey, did you see that frog over there? I'm like, I didn't even know there was a frog. Like, he could see everything, right? And this is not indicative of Dan's life, so please just don't see it this way. This is just an analogy, right? But so many of us work our lives with our glasses in our pocket. So many of us have God's word available and ready in our palms, an app. I mean, there are a billion ways that you and I can experience God's word, and we never reach over to grab it and use it. We just keep hoping flippantly that nothing bad happens. And God gives us the truth, his word. So many of us walk around blind and content. You know what's crazy? You can actually get used to darkness. You may not ever be able to see, but you can, you can get used to darkness. I think so many of us are used to the darkness. We're used to it being hazy and foggy, and we're just kind of like, ah, man, I wish it would be a little bit clearer here. And God's saying, I am speaking. I am telling you. You know, when I get angry, I'm reminded of Colossians 3.8. tells me that I'm to put away all anger, malice, and slander. When I get anxious, when I start finding anxiousness, because it wells up, trust me. When I see that, I turn to Philippians 4, 6, where I'm told to be anxious in nothing, but to think on the things that are worthy. If there's anything good and worthy, think on those things. When I feel weak, like I am this weekend, because my wife does way more than I do, apparently, I rest in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and recognize that ultimately, I'm strongest when I'm weak, because he is strongest. I wouldn't know that if I didn't spend time in his word. I wouldn't find peace that surpasses all understanding. Let me just reword that. It makes no stinking sense. Why? Because it's in Christ Jesus. I wouldn't have that peace 
in a week like this if I didn't have his word. You guys, we don't need to be going in the dark. We don't need to be going blind. I'll, I'll leave you with one last story. Two summers ago, I was on sabbatical, which was awesome. And um, <laughs> we were in California for a wedding, and it was fantastic, and spent most of the time in a, in a hotel during this wedding. And then um, Dan, actually, his aunt and uncle lived down there, and I didn't meet, I'd never known them, but he said, hey, you guys could stay there for a couple days. And so we went from the hotel that we were really comfortable and used to to Dan's aunt and uncle's house we'd never met. It was like, hi, nice to meet you. We're staying here. Sounds good. Okay, great. And so they're amazing people. But I, in the middle of the night, um, I had to go pee. It's happening because I'm getting older. I don't, I'm just kidding. It's not. I just, I drank a lot that day or something, okay? I was, I, was, I was hydrated. So anyways, I got up and I was like, I need to go to the bathroom. But if you've ever woken up in the middle of the night and not like remembered where you are or put a map of somewhere else. So I woke up thinking I was in the hotel, which isn't that big of a deal, except for in the hotel, you kind of went around the wall and then turned right. In the house, if I did that, I'd end up in aunt and uncle's bedroom, okay? And so, so I wake up, and it's kind of one of those moments where you're like, oh, I'm tired, and I need to get, and it's dark, and I can't see, and so I'm not turning any light, and so I kind of come over, and I'm like, fortunately, I had enough awareness to be like, wow, we are two doors, because it was like two doors that went into the room. There weren't two doors in this. Oh, oh, man, I'm not, I'm not in the hotel. Kind of come too, and I make the correction which was the wrong correction. I thought it was the correction to the bathroom, but it was actually the correction to the stairs. And I caught myself, but I almost went down the stairs, okay? <laughs> so needless to say, turn on a light when you're going to the bathroom at night. That's just sound advice. But as, as silly as that story is, so many of us are walking around life that way right now. So many of us are so close to opening a door that we have no right to open. Temptation's knocking, and we're just walking towards that door because we don't have the word of God illuminating our path the opposite direction, fleeing from it like God's word calls us to. We're just one wrong step from coming off that cliff. Now, look, I, I get it. I get it. This is like I'm not trying to fear monger into following the Lord. But the truth is this. As, as, as your pastor, what I hate to see, hate it, is people that know the Lord, that don't submit their life to him, and their life just falls apart. They walk out on their marriage. They leave their children. And this brokenness, this, this disgusting sinfulness that does not have to be if we would just submit ourselves to God's word. If we would just see that he is good. He is so good and what he is lighting us to and what he's taking us away from isn't because he's just trying to restrict us. He is good. And his goodness is what illuminates our path and he does so through his word. Would you submit to it? Would you let his goodness be what leads you to the truth of your life? Would you really truly submit to it? You don't have to keep going through the dark. You don't have to be within arm's reach of the word of God and go, I'll just, I'll just wing it. You don't have to walk through that door. You don't have to fall down those stairs. God will allow affliction, but some of those afflictions that we may think he's allowing is because we keep walking down those stairs when we're not supposed to. Some of the struggles you and I are experiencing is because of our sinfulness, not his allowing afflictions to restore us. The band's going to come up, and we're going we're gonna to worship some more. I'll leave you with this, just these couple quick things. Look, maybe, maybe do this tonight. This is silly. This may seem silly, okay? But maybe get in your room and turn off all your lights. I mean, everything, like your phone, everything, okay? And just open up your scripture, Open up a Bible. You might have to find a paper one and go, get the dust off of it, right? You know, okay. They still make these. I, I don't know if you know that. They do, okay? We have extra ones. If you don't have one, take one with you. 
and just put a light on that word. Just it. So just a super narrow flashlight, just on that. And just watch it. As you read, if you get narrow, you can't see past it. You can't see outside of it. You can't see, you can't get distracted by what's over here because the light is only here. And just as you're praying, as you're reading, just say, God, just speak to me through this word. Let me experience your truth in a way that I haven't experienced before. Maybe, maybe he'll show up. Say, God, I want to see your words in a different way. I want to read a verse that I've read a hundred times, and I want it to just break down my prideful heart in a way that I never experienced before. His word is living and active. It is our light. And guys, this, this world needs more light. This world needs a lot more light. And he's, God doesn't have option B. Option A is you and me, salt and light in this world. Let's, let's, let's stop walking in the darkness. Let's stop trying to navigate through dark tunnels where we're going to hit our head or fall downstairs. Instead, let's, let's rest in his goodness. Let's rest in his beauty and who he is, truly is, and then let's let that be our motivation to walk in the light that he has promised and he has already brought through his kingdom here as we pray for it to be just as it is in heaven. Heavenly Father, I pray for you. I praise you for, thank, for what you do. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for being good. I thank you for being the only thing good we can look at in the times that get so ugly and dark. God, for the individuals in the room right now that have just, uh, they literally are that person standing in Hezekiah's tunnel with no light. It is just pitch black around him. God, I pray that your light would shine in. I pray that you would illuminate their path. You would help them to see that no matter how far they've wandered, no one is outside of your grace. You have a reach that surpasses all of our sinfulness, and we see that in Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray for every single believer in here that submits to you, that says that they love you, that, that has surrendered to you as Lord God. I pray that you would start illuminating in your past, and I pray that that would do a drastically different for your world, for your glory and your glory alone, God. God, for the individuals in here that still are wrestling, that I just don't know if I believe in you, I I don't know if I want to submit my life to you. I just, I'm not even sure that the, the word is true. God, I just pray that you'd wreak havoc on their hearts. I pray they'd recognize that they're here not on accident. God, that you are your love and you are relentless in your goodness to us. I am living proof in my own life that you have dealt well with me, Lord. Because apart from you, I am a mess, a complete mess someone who seems to be seemingly so worthless, you deem worthful, worthy. Someone who seems to be so incredibly um, small, you, you make a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And God, you do that for all of us that submit our ways to you. So God, I pray as we, as we look to your word, God, I pray that we would be a people that don't just talk about your word, but God, we would see that our lives are, are submitted to your word, God. We would see that this is the beginning of every conversation. The very first time someone goes to complain, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is scripture. God, I pray that to be true of every one of your believers. We thank you for being good. We thank you for your word. We thank you for illuminating our path. Forgive us at times for looking for other means to light our path. And God, would you protect us from finding those means? Because I know, I know, I know we can find the latest, greatest gadget that might be able to light a ways but it will run out of power. And your word does not. We praise you for what you're doing in our life. We praise you for your faithfulness. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.